So I want to talk tonight (laughs) about the heavy cost of weak faith. Now, I read this passage this week. This is one of the passages I read in my quiet time with the Lord, uh, my Bible reading in my discipleship group. And as I first read it, it didn't hit me. It didn't hit me like it hit me as I started to meditate on it. And I'm going to read the passage, and you, like me, may be tempted to say, like I was early on, you may be tempted to say, well, I tell you what, I'm glad I don't need that. I'm glad I don't have any trouble with that right there. So it's interesting that this text, in fact, let's just look at it together. Verse 1 of Numbers chapter 20, Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, under the desert of Zin, or Sin, as some say, in the first month. The first month. It is believed that that's the first month of the last year that they were wandering in the wilderness. So like they're on the precipice of the promised land, okay? They should have gone in 40 years earlier, but they got bogged down. So here they are again, right smack dab at the same place they were. And notice this, and Miriam died there. Now, who's Miriam? Well, that's Moses' sister. Would anybody like to venture and guess how old she was? Now, Moses was how old at this time? It's, he was probably 120. Anybody want, <laughs> that's old. He was about 130. No, she, Miriam, was about 130. It's believed she was about 10 years old when Moses was born. And so she passes away right there at that spot. Um, And she was buried there. Now notice verse 2. Now here's where things pick up. Now, don't just gloss out that Miriam had passed because that's going to come into play, I think, later on in the text. Verse 2, and there was no water for the congregation. Now I want to ask you a question. Those that know your Bible, you know your Old Testament, do you think this was the first time that they had experienced this situation of having no water? No, this wasn't the first time, right? Back in Exodus, I believe chapter 17, they had experienced the very smack dab same thing. Different location, but the same scenario. They didn't have any water. So without even reading any further, I mean, you can can take three guesses in the first two not count as to what the people did, right? (laughs) They murmured. They complained. Verse 2, and they gathered themselves together against Moses. (laughs) And against Aaron, say, why do you chuckle? Because that's just human nature, isn't it? You know, they're blaming God, then they got mad at Moses and Aaron. (laughs) Don't you know sometimes Moses and Aaron kind of, you know, don't you know that sometimes they wanted to go to the Lord and say, now, Lord, help us figure this thing out. We're your representatives. All we're doing is trying to lead them, as you said. And these folks are getting mad at us. (laughs) Not that anybody else has ever gone. Anyway, it's just, so they they come against Moses and against Aaron, and the people chode with Moses. That's just an old English term that means they, 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 they were fussing, they were complaining, they were belly aching, and they spake saying, would God, notice this, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Now they're referring back to an instance before when God killed just a whole bunch of people for being rebels, complaining, usurping God's authority. And they're like, you know what? 
we're so despondent and we're so frustrated that we don't have any water. We just wish God would have killed us when he killed them. Verse 4, why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness? And now they're pointing fingers at Moses and Aaron. You are the dudes that brought us out here. Why did you do this? We and our cattle should die here. Wherefore, have you made it? Why have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It's no place of seed or figs or vines or vineyards or pomegranates. Neither is there any water to drink. So in their minds, they're going back and they're, they're starting to compare. Wait a minute. These things we had back in Egypt, the creature comforts, Right? Verse 6, and Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly under the door of the congregation, and they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod. By the way, he had told them the same thing in Exodus 17. Take the rod, gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. Now stop right there. Here's where the difference comes in in Exodus 17 in Numbers 20. This is not the same incident in Exodus 17. This is some 38, 39 years later, it's believed. In Exodus 17, God said, now Moses, you take your rod and you do what? You strike the rock. That is not what he said. Here, he said, you take the rod... But don't smite the rock, you do what? You speak to it. Now, there are some liberal textual critics that say that this is a misprint. And that God really instructed him to smite the rock and not speak to the rock. But that is not what God said. God said, you speak to the rock. I don't believe this is a textual misprint at all, dear brother. You speak to the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So, verse 8, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. Now, it's interesting to me, just as a side note, that the Lord even mentions the animals. And that was important. You know, it's kind of like we would say today, hey, I need fuel for my gas tank. (laughs) The beast was what they rode on. The beast and the animals were what they used to travel. But they also, this was an agronomous culture of people. They used their livestock, their lives and livelihoods and very existence was, humanly speaking, dependent on their animals. Was it just them as humans that needed water? Their livestock needed water too. And God points that out here, verse 9. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded. And Moses and Aaron, verse 10, gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, here's Moses speaking. Hear now, now notice what he calls them. Hear now, ye rebels. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod, he smote the rock, not one time, but twice. And the water, the water came out abundantly. You're like, okay, that's cool. 
What's the big deal here? <laughs> God's going to show us what the big deal is. And the congregation drank and their beast also. And everybody for a moment thought everything was hunky-dory. Until verse 11. Verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses. Now notice, here's the Lord. He spake unto Moses and Aaron, because you believed me not. What, Lord? God said, Moses and Aaron, you didn't trust me. You didn't believe me. Lord, what do you mean we didn't believe you? You didn't believe me to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. I want to give you three statements about weak faith, and then we're going to pray. I want you to listen very carefully. If you're still with me now, still listening, say amen. All right, now please, please, please leave your Bible open here. Truth number one, weak faith is revealed in our reaction to negative circumstances. Now, when I first began praying through this and thinking about this, and the Lord really began to work on my heart, I resisted this. Lord, how does weak faith play into reaction to negative circumstances? But the common thread in this text is a weakness of trust and faith in God on the part of everyone involved in this narrative. Weak faith is revealed in our reaction to negative circumstances. In verses 1 through 5, you have the negative reaction of complaining and discontentment. That's on the part of the people. Now, what were they complaining about? What were they discontented over? They were discontented and complaining over the circumstantial elements of their life, the circumstances that God in his sovereignty had allowed them to enter into. They were there at the leadership of God at that very spot, not at the leadership of Moses and Aaron. They were simply the human instruments, but God had led them there. God wasn't falling asleep. He wasn't on vacation. He hadn't died. He wasn't taking a nap. God knew full well what was going on in their life, but here they are again. They're complaining just like they had done nearly four decades before. They're in Exodus 17, they were at Rephidim, now they were at Kadesh, and they encountered the same difficulties. And by the way, listen carefully, this was even a different generation. <laughs> because most of that crowd from 38, 39 years before had already passed off the scene. One writer said, as the fathers murmured, so also did the children. And isn't it uncanny that there are some sins and some temptations and weaknesses that we're prone to commit that are passed down from generation to generation. And the truth be told, it doesn't have anything to do necessarily with our parents. It has everything to do with our great, 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 great granddaddy Adam, right? Because we're all prone to complain and to fuss and to bellyache and to talk about things that we do not like. I do, you are looking at one of the world's worst who has to guard his spirit when things don't turn out or my circumstances aren't exactly like I think they ought to be. And I don't trust God. 
And instead of stopping and saying, Lord, I am here by your divine appointment. You're not asleep. You know what's going on circumstantially in my life. So I'm going to trust you for it. I'm going to rest in your care. (laughs) You've taken care of us for 40 years out here. By the way, do a study sometime on how much manna God had supplied for the children of Israel every single day for these 40 years. It's unbelievable. Do a study sometime and, 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 and calculate how much quail per person, per family, had God provided. And I want you to just, just think with me just a moment, brothers and sisters. Do you think their spirit would have changed just a little bit had they taken time just to stop and pause and reflect on the goodness of God? My word, look how good God had been to them. No wonder, no wonder the songwriter said, hey, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, you ever been there? Count your many blessings. Name them, we say one by one, but then somebody said, no, no, no. No, we can't just name them one by one. We got to name them what? Ton by ton. Then it will surprise you to look back and see what what the Lord has done, right? But when my circumstances are not favorable, and I'm my comfort level goes down, aren't we prone to get all been out of shape? Oh man, I can spot these that, look the people. Yeah, yeah. They had a lack of faith. I can see that, right? But what about Moses? What about his lack of faith? You see, his lack of faith was revealed in, how, in his response. What was his response? Frustration and impatience. He wasn't complaining and bellyaching about not having water. Do you know what the irritant was in his spirit? It had nothing to do with the water. It had everything to do with the people. It was like a burr. It was like a sand <laughs> that just got in there, and it irritated. And it, I mean, I mean, I mean, y'all, come on now. Let's think just a moment. You have to think that after nearly forty years of dealing with these, were they hard headed? Oh, gracious day, they were hard headed. They were hard-headed. And so God says, okay, I want you to take your rod in your hand, which was a symbol of God's leadership and God's authority. Now, back in Exodus 17, he said, I want you to strike the rock one time. But here he said, I want you to speak to it. And when you speak to it, the water's going to come out. And then go back, go back to verse 10. Now, Moses was impetuous. He was impatient, and his response showed a lack of trust in the Lord. Notice this in verse 10. Moses was provoked to anger by the people, and he spoke unadvisedly with his lips, and he called these people rebels. Now hear me, dear one. Let me tell you, underlying this whole narrative here in the Bible is something that that we often forget and miss in this story, and that is the good patience of God and God's compassionate treatment of these people. Y'all, 
Had I been the Lord, the very split second, they would have started whining and complaining. Guess what old C. Pizzle would have done? I'd have, I'd have wiped them out. You think I would have given them water? No. You don't see a harshness in God's tone when he's dealing with these people right here for whatever reason in his infinite grace and goodness. He just says, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give them water. I want you to do this. You follow this plan. Water's going to come out. Give them water. It's almost as if Moses takes matters in his own hands and he kind of is so irritated by them and their failure and their, their, their faults. Look at these people. Now, from a human standpoint, yes or no, were they rebels? Yes, they were rebels. From a human standpoint, do you think he was justified in his anger towards them? He thought he was justified in his anger towards them. And you know what? Most of us in this room, had we been in Moses' sandals, guess exactly what we would have done. We'd have done the very same thing. And in his anger and frustration, he inadvisedly calls them rebels. God didn't tell him to call them rebels. He came up with that. And then he goes a step further, and he says, hey, must we fetch water for you? Now, wait a minute, Moses. It wasn't you giving them water to begin with. The water didn't come from Moses. It came from God. So here's Moses. He didn't credit the Lord with a miracle, but instead turned the attention to himself. And isn't that what happens so often? When you're dealing with frustrating people, what happens? We turn the spotlight onto us. And it becomes about us. Okay, I just can't believe... I'm so frustrated. I'm dealing with these hard-headed folks. I'm telling you, whether it be whoever it is in your life that you feel like is frustrating to you, it ceases to be about the Lord. And here's what, and it's not funny, that's not the right word, but here's what's strange, is we, if we're not careful, we become guilty in our spirit of the very same sin that frustrates us about somebody else. So instead of just speaking to the rock, he hits it. Not once, but twice. The fact that he struck it instead of speaking to it, many believe perhaps he was so angry at the people, he didn't really clearly listen to God. That, that's a problem, right? And then some say, no, he heard the Lord, but he doubted God. He thought perhaps even that God had made a mistake and that just speaking to it wasn't going to be enough. I mean, after all, look at what God before, in 38 years before, I struck it and water came out. And God says now to talk to it? No, no, I'm going to do what I know works. Wow. There's a message even in that alone, isn't it? So he strikes it twice. You say, why did he hit it two times?
because he thought hitting it twice was going to produce more water? No, because he was flat out mad. And he lost it. We say he lost his temper, but he really found it, didn't he, right? <laughs> you say, well, Christian, big deal. Man, I get like that every now and then. We all get like that. Everybody gets like that. Runs in our families, you know. We blame our ancestors on us being, you know, impatient and all that kind of stuff. And Well, here's the truth. It is a big deal. So why was it such a big deal? Because he didn't trust the Lord with it. He took matters in his own hands. One writer said Moses was soured by the rebellion of the people. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 106, verse 32, that they, the people, angered Moses from the waters of strife so that it went ill with Moses for their sakes because they provoked his spirit so that he spoke unadvisedly with his lips. He was so angry with him, not only did he call them rebels, but he was so mad and so, here it is, out of control with his spirit that he disregarded the instructions of God. One writer said that Moses now acted more like an Egyptian prince than the servant of the Lord. And that's true. You see, weak faith is revealed in how we respond to negative circumstances. And we're going to stop right there. But had I kept going, here's what I would have told you. Okay. Here, write this down if you're taking notes. Verse 12, weak faith robs God of glory. Now here's what he said. Weak faith robs God of glory. Here's what he said in verse 12. He says, now Moses, listen carefully. Here's the deal. You didn't believe me. You didn't trust me enough to sanctify me in the eyes of the people. In other words, you thought that what I told you to do, and here's what God's saying, wasn't enough to take care of the problem. You thought that your reaction of anger and frustration and you disregarding the specificity of my instructions, God was very detailed, you speak to the rock, God said you thought your way was what? Better than my way. Because you thought my way wasn't going to get the job done. And furthermore, you were not representing me in your demeanor and in your spirit. You were representing yourself. You didn't sanctify me before the people. You, you grabbed a hold of the honor that was mine and mine alone. And you stole it for yourself. Now that's heavy. It's because he had weak faith and he didn't trust God enough to do it God's way. Moses showed weak faith in not letting God be God in this situation. And then finally I would have said that weak faith is detrimental. Because God said, now because you've done this, here's what the Lord said, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land. It's interesting. Miriam died. Then just a little bit time later, Aaron died. And then Moses died. God said, Moses, I'm not going to let you go in. 
because you didn't trust me enough to do things my way. Now, I've got to be honest with you. How many of you, like me, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever read this story and you're like, now, Lord, come on. I mean, that's pretty heavy. I mean, come on. Give the dude a break, right? Look at what he had to deal with for 40 years. I mean, if anybody gets a pass, my man Moses should get a pass, right? But here's the thing. God doesn't play. And God means business. And God's serious when he tells us something to do. So here's the takeaway. Remember that you don't have to make sense of it all. And you don't have to fully explain it all before you trust God with the situation. Remember Proverbs 3 verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Remember that his ways are different than my ways. His ways are higher than my ways. And his ways are always better than my ways. Isaiah 55, 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. You see, it doesn't matter if I would have done it that way or not. It matters that God said, here's how I want you to do it. Now do it that way. When it comes to what God has already stated clearly to do, it doesn't matter what my opinion is. It does come down to do I trust God enough to do it his way? Do I really believe that he is who he says he is and that he's worthy enough of complete obedience? And then the last thought, guard your spirit. See, whether it was the people or Moses, the root issue, look at, look at their, their spirit was all wrong. Guard your spirit. Do you know the greatest temptation your pastor faces every day? And I, like you, face temptation every day. Multiple temptation. Multiple forms. But do you know the most powerful temptation I face in fight is the temptation to let my spirit get out of control. And that's why, dear one, spirit control begins with, watch this, spirit control. Holy Spirit control. That's what the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is all about. So the prayer I'm going to encourage us to pray tonight as we leave is, God, please, above all else, help me to realize that you are worthy always of complete trust and obedience. And Lord, please, guard my spirit.